to Acts chapter 16. Uh, um, and, and while you're getting there, because I know you guys, you, you, can, you, can, you can do more than one thing at a time. So while you're getting there, I'm not going to be um, rude. I'm going to say good morning. And while you're still turning, just go ahead and say, everybody just repeat after me, say, that man from Macedonia. Say it again, that man from Macedonia. Now, now, while you're turning to Acts chapter 16, you'll start to understand why you just said that. But for those of you who know me, you know that you already know that I love myself from EBC. Amen. So I bid you good morning. And you already know how happy I am to be here. For amen, brother. For those of you who may not know me uh, yet, let's just say that um, Elizabeth Baptist Church holds a special place in my heart. Exactly some 20 years ago, in the spring of 98, um, I was ordained to preach the gospel here, in fact, in that building over there. And God has been working mightily as he squeezes and shrinks me every day so that he can increase in me. Amen. But to all of you, this is a very, very, very special place that God has ordained in this ministry to be a significant part of what he's doing in an extraordinary work here in Bend, throughout the architects in Alabama, Virginia, Florida, and beyond. As far as Murrieta, as far as Florida, Murrieta, California, as far as Tampa, Florida, as far as Laganov, Haiti, and through the uttermost parts of the earth, God is using EBC to impact the kingdom for him. It's important that you know that God is not just contained in Northwest Louisiana. Amen. I'm here to tell you that he's, as a young lady said a few minutes ago, he's bigger than that. Amen. Um, and first of all, I'd like to thank God for this opportunity to wake up, to breathe, um, to walk, to stand, and to speak to you on his behalf. Pastor Adams, um, he knows that I'm very transparent, so I guess he can be transparent. He can tell it all, amen. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I would have been fine to just tell y'all that I didn't feel well yesterday. <laughs> but Katie, you know, he, Pastor ain't like that. He wants to go all the way, amen. <laughs> and, 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 and that's good because transparency is the spice of life for those who really know Christ, Amen. Not very much God can do in your life when you're opaque and it's dark and you won't let anybody see on the inside. So um, there were some challenges yesterday, but um, as Pastor said, um, God moved like he always does. And I stand here this morning so grateful and, and so thankful to be here with you. With, as they used to say when I was smaller, a reasonable portion of my health and strength. Amen? And um, 
And also, again, I want to thank each of you, and I thank Pastor Adams and EBC for the opportunity to stand here in your midst. And I speak to you on behalf of the one who took our place. Amen. How many of you know this morning that none of us have really gotten what we deserve? Amen. You, you can't handle what you deserve. How many of you know that no matter how dressed up we are today and how cleaned up we are, how nice our haircuts, how nice our outfits and how clean our wigs. <laughs> and all right, I'm going to leave that alone, okay. <laughs> but I'm so thankful to be here. But how many of you know that no matter how good you look on the outside, that on the inside you an ugly, nasty, stanky mess? But only God. I'm with you, Brother Thomas. Um, God saw fit. You know, he saw something worth saving. I'm not certain what he was looking at when he looked at me. But not only did he see something worth saving, he saw something worth keeping. So he thought he'd clean up. And, you know, he can't, he, God, when he, it, it, God saves us wherever we are. But, you know, he don't intend for us to stay that way. Somebody say Amen. So you shouldn't continue to be where you are when God found you and when he saved you and when he picked you up. And we know that we were in a situation where we couldn't even help ourselves, not to mention others. Amen. But somebody say, but God. But God. But God. You see, I believe Paul wrote in Romans 5, um, 6, Romans 5, verses 6, 7, and 8. I think he wrote something like he said, he talks about how we were enemies of God. And he talks about that just at the right time, that when we were powerless and we were his enemies, he died for the ungodly. How many of you know that we were ungodly before we had God? That's all ungodly means. It means that without God. So he didn't wait for us to find him, he sought after us. And it was God who found us where we were. And that's what that scripture says. It says that scarcely would a man die for a righteous man. But he goes on to say, but who in the world? No one would die for an ungodly person. But here's what Paul wrote. He said, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And how many of you believe what the Apostle Paul wrote? He said that we've been justified by his blood, and how much more shall we be saved from his wrath through him? That's what he says. We're going to be saved from his wrath. A lot of times we talked about being saved, but we forget to talk about what we're saved from. You're not just saved from your sin, but there's something else that your sin brings on. And it's the wrath of God. But God has saved us from his wrath. He is not going to pour his wrath on anyone who he owns. We're safe. And because of that, that is reason enough for us to shout hallelujah. And not just in here, but I'm talking about even beyond these walls. When everybody else is looking like everything is so dark, we need to remember that we've been saved. 
by him, for him, and through him. Well, somebody else say amen. But listen, I need to get back to Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to go there, but I, I, I need to tell you that my, 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 my family, my wife, and my kids, they couldn't be here, but they send their love. And Melanie keeps up with a lot of you on uh, on Facebook, and TJ keeps up with many of you on Instagram. And, and, you know, so most of y'all probably already know more about what's going on in my family than I do. You, oh, see, no, my wife, well, she's not here. So she, she's one of those oversharers. Oh, no. any, any of y'all like that? She shared just too much. And the thing is, she, she won't believe that, but she does. But here's the reason I say she shares too much, because she always only shares the good stuff. So y'all think my kids are like little angels if you look at Facebook. You would never know, Brother Gary, the little sitterlings that they are. Just a bunch of sitterlings. But that's not, you know, we all were that. You know, uh, thank God for them. But anyway, I, I'm, I'm going to leave that alone. But um, I, my, my wife and, and my family says hello and um, and in terms of Facebook, I, I'm not on Facebook, but I don't really knock it. Facebook is like a lot of other things, right? It depends on where your heart is. So, you know, um, Facebook can be a, a fabulous tool used to foster relationships, or Facebook can be the death of relationships. Just depend on where your heart is and what God is doing in your life. But listen, that, that, that's not why I'm here today. Um, Pastor asked me to... Um, um, come and share what was on my heart for um, this 135th anniversary. And, um, you know, I already told you that my relationship with EBC only goes back as far as some 20 years or so. So I don't believe he brought me here and asked me to come here to give you a history lesson on EBC. Others are much more qualified to do that. So I'm not going to try. But I also know that a lot of folks come out to anniversaries, and it's just something you do, and Anna and I means, you know, once a year. And it's something you do once a year, and you really, you know, don't give much thought to what it is that you're observing. And many of us just go through the motions. And for many, it's just another Sunday service, just maybe with a different preacher. And, and, but, but, but if these celebrations are really going to be worthwhile, they got to be backward and forward looking. You know, and as I pray about this, as I look backwards, I couldn't help but do the math. Um, 135 years ago, that would have been in 1883. I'm also a little bit of a history hack. You know what a hack means? That means somebody who dabble in it, but they don't really know as much as they think they know. So I'm a little bit of a history hack, so I, I like history. And, and, and I know that in 1865, that was the official end of slavery. So a little quick math, if you do 1883 minus 1865, you come up with 18. So if this church goes back to 130, 135 years, and if um, slavery was ended 18 years before, then you would realize that everybody over 18 were former slaves in this area. And at least the majority of them were. I mean, Louisiana, there weren't many free 
blacks. Up here, there was some, but not many. I mean, there was a reason that the people in Louisiana went to war to keep from freeing the slaves. We were part of what they were fighting over. And, 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 and so when I think about where this started, I'm, I can't help but realize that we are sitting here today standing on the shoulders of what Jesus would call in Matthew 25, the least of these. People who were nothing, had nothing, and were barely thought of. Yet God decided 135 years ago to establish this community of believers. And we would be remiss to come in here and leave and not think about what God has done. But we also have to be forward thinking. And even with the advances of modern science, I'm willing to bet that not many of us, if Christ don't come first, will be here when for another 135 years. So I won't even bother to talk about where we'll be in the next 135 years. Let's just break it down. What, what about maybe the next 10? We can even get more real and just say, have you given thought to, as we come to the end of the year, the next year? And I want to challenge you this morning. As I look over this congregation, go ahead and look around. Look with me. I'm standing this way so I can look this way. This is the only time in this sermon I'm going to give you an I'm going to give you a, a, a pass to look backwards and then look around. Okay, just look around. And as you do this, here's my guess. My guess is that in 1883, that when they looked around at each other, that it looked a lot like it looks right now. Oh, 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 oh. My guess is that the shoes probably didn't cost as much. The suits probably didn't cost as much. And your education level is probably a lot higher than it was. But I'm willing to bet that the faces looked a lot like they look now. And I'm here to challenge you this morning that you don't want that to be the case for the next 135 years. Can I just be a little bit more blunt? Pastor, did you bring me here to talk over or did you bring me here to talk to you? Let me be blunt. As we look around, as we see black person after black person after black person after black person after black person, in 1883, that's what God was doing. In 2018, we've got to look beyond that. Oh, okay, so let me back up. And, I, and I'm really, I'm going to get there, but I got I to set the stage. 
I want to challenge you this morning. Before everybody starts making excuses, because I've been there, I've made my share of excuses. Before you say, Pastor Al, listen, I can't make white people come to my church. I agree. So you don't have to argue with me on that. You say, well, Pastor L, I don't see anything wrong with letting them do their thing and letting, me, and letting us do ours. Don't know if I so much agree with that one. But I'll listen to you. But if you say, Pastor L, honestly, I want to be around some people that I'm comfortable being around. When I come to church, I want to be comfortable If that's what you're saying today, then I hope by now you've gotten to Acts chapter 16. Because what we're going to be talking about this morning is Paul's second missionary journey. And if you give me any time to talk, I can't speak very long without talking about mission, being on mission for Christ. We have to view our lives, if God is going to be able to use us, we have to realize that we're here on a mission trip. Oh, you may not be in Southern Asia, you may not be on your way to Galatia and and, and Corinth, but your life, God has called you to be on mission with him. And if you don't look at it like a mission trip, then you're going to fail to be effective at what he put you here to do. Because let me tell you, daddy was right when he said God saved us. He saw something worth saving. But I'm going to tell you, I've already told you, it wasn't just for you. It was for his usage. And so when we look at this, I want you to understand that I want to sort of notice that God's true church is on the move. It's not about a building. It is on the move. We've been confused. We think that church is about coming into a building. It is not. It is about what happens after you leave the building. All of us, if we're going to be true believers of Christ, we must realize that we're on mission. And as we look at Paul's second missionary journey, he gives us notes to follow on what to do when you're on a mission. But you need to understand that whether you're on that mission or not, we'll get to that. But God's church is on a mission. It is on the move. It is progressive. It is about continual change. It does not accept stagnation. And its ultimate goal is God's glory. It's not to be made to feel better. It's not just to get well of a disease. It is, see, all of that stuff is what you do along the way. We're going to get there. And the reason we have to set it up this way is because if I just go to Acts 16 and start talking to you about a missionary journey, I'm going to lose you. Because most of you have not physically gone on a mission journey. 
And you're going to blank out. You're going to say, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but it's not going to connect. And I need you to understand that everybody is not going to go to Haiti. Everybody is not going to go to Africa. But here's one thing that's for sure. Everybody is going to leave this place. There are no beds that I know of in here. So all of you are going to leave here and you're going to go home. You're going to go to work. You're going to go to school. You're going to go somewhere. And that's the point. God's church is always on the go. And I'm going to tell you something else. While you're going, you're going to see a lot of people who don't look like you. But they're not here today. So there's a disconnect. And we're going to address that. Come on. And, and as we get here, I, I, I mean, in these days, Pastor, I feel like an Old Testament prophet. Every message that God gives me is centered on encouraging people to engage in God's mission work. And I'm not just talking about a trip like I just said, but I'm talking about, here's the thing. I'm talking about being a vessel of reconciliation for Christ. Does anybody hear me? And I'm not just talking about some, some nebulous ambassador for Christ. I'm not talking about some nebulous person who is re reconciliation. Listen, this country, our community, is in need of racial reconciliation. And it needs to come from the church. The world is confused. It does not know how to handle this. But we should. I'll commit to you this morning that if you'll, if you'll commit to traveling with me for just about half an hour on our own little mission trip, God will begin for some of you and continue for others to open your eyes to what he's doing in this world today. And because and, and, here's the thing is you, I need you to do me a favor. That wherever your mindset is this morning, I need you to be honest with me. Racial reconciliation should be a, prop to, a top priority for all of us. But let me be clear. It is not possible to have a right relationship with Christ if our relationship with our brothers are not in good standing. Yeah. Folks, I'm not making stuff up. Nobody else might not tell you that, but I'm telling you that's what Jesus says. And let me tell you something, if you're not part of the solution, then you find yourself part of the problem. The world's looking for answers, everybody. Man, I'm trying to get there, but listen. What did Jesus say in John 13, verses 34 and 35? I'm going to use the NIV for a moment. Um, listen to what, remember what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Here's what he said. It's very simple. He said that they're going to, here's this new commandment that I'm going to give you. That you love one another. Now, as I have loved you, he didn't leave it just to us to figure out what love is. He said, but as I have loved you, then you love one another. 
But he goes on, he goes a step further. Look what he says in the next verse. He saying, and by this, everybody say by this. That's what he said. By this. What is the by this? He's talking about by the way you love each other. By this, all men. Did he say some? That's not what he said. All men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Folks, it's love that should bind us together. If we're in Christ. But <laughs> you got to understand that 18 years after God used people like Abraham Lincoln and others to free your great, 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 great grandmother and father, he planted this church over here for just a time such as this. And I pray that you begin to see that the stuff that's coming out in our society and in our churches is not new in 2018. It's been there all along. But now God is exposing this stuff. Y'all know you can't really deal with something until it's exposed. But somebody may say, Pastor Al, this is a little bit different. This racist stuff goes all the way to the top. That's different. But let me, uh, let, let me be clear. Let me be clear. Listen, everybody, let me just be blunt again. God is not surprised with President Trump. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? Like it or not, President Trump is part of God's plan to purify and sanctify his people. He not, he's not surprised at this. Yeah, but people talk like that. Hey, it's always been there. It's been exposed so we can deal with it. And we got to stop playing the victim role and understand President Trump has nothing to do with how the church behaves. Not a thing. President Trump has nothing to do with how the church behaves. Not one thing. And we got to understand, no, we're not victims, but we're victors in Christ. In fact, we're more than conquerors. But we got to first of all realize what Paul said in Ephesians 6 and 12. He, he, when he said that we don't fight against flesh and blood. If I can see him, if I can touch him, then he's not my enemy. Anybody with me this morning? I'll fight us against some other stuff. Everybody say that man's from Macedonia. Listen, on Paul's second missionary journey, and I think that you guys get some handouts because I want to show you something. And I gave you the handout so I wouldn't have to take, I'm not going to give you a geography lesson. But I, wanna, I just want to show you real quick so you can have it while we go on. But on Paul's second missionary journey, I gave you the map that shows you his first missionary journey and his second missionary journey. And there's a reason for that because on his first missionary journey, it wasn't an easy journey. In fact, if you read the backstory after we, when we, before we get to Acts chapter 16, you see that Paul and the great Barnabas, his mentor, had words 
about the beginning of this second missionary journey. Oh, they didn't call each other names and that sort of stuff, but they had a disagreement. They both agreed that they needed to go back and strengthen the churches that they had found on, that founded on their first missionary journey. But the disagreement came because Barnabas wanted to take Mark. And Paul said, Mark's not ready. Y'all know why Paul said Mark's not ready? Because on their first missionary journey, after they went on a boat and sailed over to the island of Cyprus, when they got to Pamphylia, Mark said, I can't handle this. And Mark went back home. And Paul said, uh, he's not ready, Barnabas. And Barnabas said, no, Paul, but I want to get him ready. And, and Paul said, well, Barnabas, I'll tell you what. You're going to have to get him ready on your own trip, and we're going to take another trip. God bless both trips. I want you to understand that. Because they both had God's best interest in mind. And so when they went on the second missionary journey, Paul went and Silas went with them. And Paul, they started back on that, on that, on that path that I've showed you here that goes from Antioch through Tarsus, through Derby to Lystra. And when they got to Lystra and Derby, there was a young guy named Timothy who comes on the scene. Now, Timothy was a young disciple who had favor. Thanks for the mail. And so Timothy was a young disciple that had found favor in that area. Now, Timothy's mother and grandmother had probably been saved on Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. So when Paul got back through these towns, they, Timothy wanted to go with him. And Paul wanted him to come. And then we start learning the first thing about being useful for God's mission work. You know what the first thing is? To be a vessel, sometimes you got to go above and beyond. Why would I say that? Because Timothy was part Jewish and part Greek. But here's the thing. His dad wasn't a believer, but his mom was. Timothy did not have to be circumcised. And, and, if you, if you, and I, I, I like preaching to, 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 to Bible uh, study in churches because you guys get this. And, you, and, and, and th that that you don't get, you'll go back and study it for yourself. So I feel fine um, uh, uh, being able to skip over some things. But here's the thing. In Acts chapter 15, Paul and Silas had just left, and Barnabas had just left a church, a church conference where they had decided that people did not have to be circumcised to be saved. So then why would Paul want Timothy to be circumcised? Well, the scripture tells us he wanted him to be circumcised because they were going to be traveling. Look what he said in verse 3. Paul wanted to take him along the journey. I'm reading from the NIV. And so he circumcised him because of the Jews that lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul did this to satisfy some of the people that they were going to be evangelizing. Even though Paul knew that a lot of these Jews weren't going to do nothing but start trouble anyway. And I'm, why, why do I say this? Because I'm telling you that as you minister to people, other people, you're going to have to do some things where you may have to go above and beyond. 
And you may think, well, there's no point in me doing this because they're not going to appreciate it. They're not going to do it anyway. But you got to listen to Christ and you do what God leads you to do, which we're getting to. So to be a vessel, sometimes you got to go above and beyond. You also see something else about being a vessel. To be a vessel, you got to be willing to grow. See, see, and what we see is Timothy, Lois, Eunice, his mother and grandmother, they were already strong disciples in that area. But Timothy wanted to grow. And so he hooked up with Paul and Silas to go on a mission trip that they knew not where they were going. But he wanted to be with Paul. So to be a vessel, you got to be willing to grow. You can't become stagnated where you are. If this church is going to be all God called it to be, it has to be made up of believers who are willing to grow and not become stagnated. So you got to be willing to go. You got to be willing to go above and beyond. You got to be willing to be a ve- uh, to, to grow, and to be a vessel, you got to be willing to go. You got to be willing to go. That you you've got to be willing to deal with some discomfort rather than just live your life based on what makes you comfortable. You got to be willing to go. What it. Jesus tell his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He told them that when the Spirit came, talking about when the church was going to start, he said they would be witnesses of him. And he gave like four different places in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He said first in Jerusalem, then he said then in Judea, then in Samaria, and ultimately to the uttermost, the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, that's home. Judea, that's the surrounding areas. Samaria, that's the place where nobody wants to go. Jesus knew what he was saying to those self-respecting Jews when he said, they, they would have been okay with Jerusalem, okay. They would have been okay with Judea, okay, well, we can spin out. But uh, 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 Samaria? But he didn't stop there. Because he knew his plan was ultimately the ends of the earth. You got to be willing to go. And, and, and listen, look, look at verse 6. Here's, what it, here's the way it reads. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Listen to what it says. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Did y'all hear what it says? We're going to get back to that, but let's keep going. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Y'all see that? That's what he says. So they passed on by Mysia, and they went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over here to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready to go at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Listen, let's see if we can unpack that in a few minutes. 
first thing I want you to understand is that when you're on the mission for and with Christ, he will provide the necessary details. Listen, we're so, and, and I'm worse than anybody, I'm so used to Siri, and when I get in my car, I'll, there's places I know how to go, and I'll still punch it in. We want to know the directions. I gave you the map that shows you where they were going, and I gave you the map that, where you see it, but after they left Lystria, Lystria, and they went through Iconium, you notice the path changed. And the scripture says here that they wanted to go, look what it says, they wanted to go into Asia in verse 6, but look what it says, the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching the word there. Now, we got to stop and talk about that for a moment. Because a lot of times, every time that we think that we start having trouble with something, we want to blame the enemy. We want to blame Satan. Satan stopped me from doing it. Satan prevented me from doing it. But Luke made the case twice here. And neither time did he mention Satan's name. I want you to see the case that he made. But in, 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 I need you to understand something. When you follow Christ, I told you he'll give you the necessary detail, but let me follow up on that. Rarely will you have all the details up front. Paul and Silas didn't know where they were going. They knew they were going to the churches and the cities where they started from the first trip. And then when they got there, they thought they would go to Asia. But here you see Luke said, but the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching the word in Asia. So they wanted to go to Asia. The Holy Ghost said, no. Then they thought they kept going. Y'all got the mouth. So they were headed north and they wanted to go into Asia. The Holy Spirit said, no. So they kept going west. And then they got to Bithynia and they wanted to go north again. The Holy Spirit said, no. Twice. And so the real question is, I mean, Sometimes God says no, everybody. And that may not make sense. Why in the world would God not allow them to go and preach the gospel just wherever they want it? Listen, the closer you get to the Lord, the closer you develop a relationship with him, the more you realize that you don't just do what you want to do if you're going to follow Christ. The Holy Spirit has to be in charge of true believers. And so if you are still here this morning thinking that you can just do whatever you want to do and however you want to do it, let me explain something. You, you need to evaluate whether you are really on mission with Christ. Because it doesn't work that way. And I want you to understand, many so-called Christians are not yet on a mission yet. They're going through the motions, and, and, and you say, how do you know that? Because they rarely give much thought to pleasing and serving Christ. If 
you really sit down and they're honest, the presentation of Christ that they think of is that Christ is here to serve us. I'm to tell him what I need and he's to perform it. I'm to order him and to command him and he's supposed to get it done. That's not the God of the Bible. How do I know? Because this comes out in our lifestyle. Listen, you cannot live a worldly lifestyle and be on a mission with Christ. Okay, don't work that way. The, the two things are incompatible. I mean, you can't do whatever you want, think whatever you want, live however you want to live, say whatever you want to say, and then say you're on Christ, for, you're on a missionary journey. You're not. You're on a journey. <laughs> but it's not with Christ. And, and, and so, if that's you today, I'm not just being facetious. If you hear my voice, then it's not too late because I'm here to tell you that if you haven't started yet, that he's calling missionaries today. That's why we're here talking about what those missionaries did 135 years ago. He's calling us today. I just told you that oftentimes God says no, but we like to blame it on everybody else. But let me tell you something. Usually, if we think we're white, right, and something blocks us, we blame it on the devil. Satan, all his demons and all this. Listen, Luke didn't say anything about Satan blocking them from going anywhere. It was God who said no. Because he had a plan. Let me tell you something else. The difficulty of a thing has nothing to do with whether or not Christ is in that thing. So many times we think that if we do what Christ tells us to do, then it ought to be easier. But that's just not borne out by Scripture. That's not the way it works. In fact, let me tell you, I'm going to give you the flip side of it too. Sometimes we think if something is too hard, then it must not be of God. That's not true. Sometimes we think if something is too easy, it must not be of God. That's not true. You say, then how do we know? Listen, I want you to see what they did. We need to have a continual focus on the word of God and a clean relationship with Christ through his Holy Ghost, and then it is the Holy Ghost who confirms whether or not a thing is of Christ. Pastor, in too many places, too many times for too many Christians, we are eliminating the role of the Holy Ghost in our lives. He cannot be eliminated, and he cannot be substituted. There are no formulas. There are no formulas that you can use to figure out if Christ is anything. I've seen so many books that people write, the uh, seven-step process, the nine-step process, and how you know Christ is. Hey, here's the one step you need. You need to get into the Word of God. And we need to have a lifestyle that is controlled by the Holy Spirit. And he will lead us and guide us where we need to be. 
I got to keep going because let me tell you something else. Because you see it right here. Just because you want to preach the gospel somewhere doesn't mean that you don't have to listen to the Spirit. That was one of the biggest things to me. I thought you should just be able to preach the gospel anywhere. Can't you? Well, obviously not. Again, like I said, there's no substitute for having a, holy, having a right relationship with the Holy Spirit in your life. There's no magic formula on how to run a church or how to do evangelism. We must listen to God's Holy Spirit and depend on him. We must. We cannot be effective in serving Christ in our own strength. It doesn't work that way. I don't care how educated, I don't care how much knowledge, I don't care how much experience we have. We must rely on God's Holy Spirit. But here's something else I need to tell you. Because you can see it right here. So he just bust your bubble when you saw that it's not just sometimes God says no. It's not just the enemy who blocks us. You saw it right here. Here's something else you need to understand. Many times God will use you to reach people that don't even know they need help. I want y'all to see this because this this what I, Brother Shard, I saw this and, and, and the Lord really opened my eyes. Here's what he says. He said, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia to help us. Let me be clear here. The people from Macedonia did not ask for help. They did not send a representative out to meet Paul. They sent nobody over and say, Paul, we've, we heard about what you did three years ago on your other missionary journey. We heard that you were back in the area now. Please come over here and share the gospel with us. That's not what happened. What happened is that man from Macedonia doesn't even have a name. Luke spent a lot of time in this area, and he never even mentions that man again. When they got to Macedonia, he never say, oh, we saw the man that we had seen in the vision. That never happened. Let me tell you what God did. It was God who called Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy over to help these Macedonians because the Macedonians were in need of help, and they didn't even know it. And many today are in need, and they don't even know it. You might think that I, we talk about racial reconciliation in here, and I talked about the need for racial reconciliation in our churches, in our community, throughout our world, but many people don't even recognize the need. Many people in powerful positions don't even recognize the need. I'm not talking about in the world. I'm talking about even in the church. They don't recognize the need. Some may recognize it. They just feel powerless to address it. It's just too big for me. That I would agree with. Some may say, well, we need help, but we don't need your type of help. But we need to be clear here. The people that God sends you to, they may not look like you, they may not think like you, they may not talk like you. Eventually, in, initially, they may not even like you. But I'm here to tell you today that they need you. 
and you need them. You just may not know it yet. And that's why that God did not wait for the Macedonians to ask for help. He commanded his people to go help. You see it? But here's something else you got to do because you got to surround yourself with people who seek and hear the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you something. That's the reason in Paul's spirit that he didn't. Oh, listen, there's no other person in Jerusalem that Paul respected more than Barnabas. Barnabas reached out to Paul when Peter and John and nobody else and James wouldn't even be seen with Paul. Go study. Study your word. But the reason that Paul wouldn't yield on that point to allow Mark to come is because God had placed something in his spirit that on this trip we need people who are seeking and listening to the Holy Ghost because Barnabas, I don't know where we're going and I don't need to be out there arguing with each other about the direction that we're going to take and I need some people there who are caught up in praying and seeking God's purpose. Mark wasn't ready. And I want y'all to see on this vision, because here's here's what I'm trying to explain. (laughs) Listen to what Luke wrote. Listen to what he wrote. He said, during the night, in verse 9, look what he said. Who had a vision? We had a vision. Is that what he said? Is that what he said? No. We didn't have a vision. During the night, Paul had a vision. You need to be in the presence of people you trust because God don't show everybody everything at the same time. Luke say Paul had a vision. Well, Paul, what did the man look like? I don't know. Well, Paul, what was the man's name? I don't know. Well, Paul, what, what, what time did he say come? I don't know. Well, what do you know? I know he's from Macedonia. Well, Paul, I trust you. I trust the Holy Ghost. Well, I trust everything in you. Let's get ready to go to Macedonia. Look at verse 10. That's why after Paul has seen that, verse, that vision, we debated it. We discussed it in committee. No, we, we, we got signed off from the trustees and the deacons and, 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 and we let the women chime in. Hey, what did he say? At once. At once. Let's go. And they headed to Macedonia, a place they had never been. Because they concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel. Verse 10 is the first time that Luke introduces himself into the picture. This is the first time you know Luke is writing the book, but in verse 9 and 10, verse 10, he say, after Paul had seen the vision, then we got ready. That's the first time he said that. If you go back and look, he talked about how they tried to go to Asia 
but the Holy Spirit blocked them. They tried to go to Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit blocked them. Now Luke has showed up, and Luke is there praying now. Part of the reason that God wouldn't let him go because he needed Luke to connect with him. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this. Luke wrote this book, but he wasn't with Paul yet. We wouldn't have this. So now they're there. Look what Luke say. Now we, we got ready because God has called us to preach the gospel. What am I saying? I'm saying even though he had very few details, they left at once. No debate, no nothing. Because they were already prayed up. Or we? They were already prayed up. They were looking for direction. Or we? Or do we have to be dragged, kicked, and screaming? There was a reason that Paul left Mark. Fred Hammond said, wherever he leads, I'm willing to follow. But are we? Last thing I can tell you about this, because here's what you see in verse 12, that the gospel must always be the driving motivation. Listen, when I'm talking about racial reconciliation, I'm not just talking about getting together politically and getting together socially and getting together economically and all of that. That's beside the point. The gospel must be the motivator. We must understand that the body of church, the body of Christ cannot function properly the way it is right now. We are staying on the world the way we are right now. There are clear racial delineations that should not exist. But does that bother you? Because either way it goes, after I'm done here in a few minutes, over the next few days, I'm going to get back on a plane and I'm going to head back to California. And then EBC is going to be working on year 136. But the issue is, are you ready to move the way that God is instructing and requires a modern-day church to move? Is the gospel your number one motivation today? I mean, we can celebrate the founders, the EBC founders back in 1883 if we want, but that does us no good today if it doesn't inspire and motivate us to rise to the challenges that we face today. What does it matter? Again, does this stuff bother you? Does it bother you enough to ask God how he wants to use you or have you just accepted 
that that's just the way it is, that's the way it's always been, and that's the way it's always going to be. Well, I got news for you. It might be the way it is. It might be the way it's been. But according to the scripture, that's not the way it's always going to be. Oh, I got to hurry. But by the way, did I tell you that even though God directed them to Macedonia, he dropped them right from the frying pan into the fire? Y'all are, y'all are Bible studying church and y'all know that this didn't go as well as we might hope on a missionary trip. They went to, they went over, they got on the boat, went over on, uh, um, passed through um, Troas and sailed over, went into Philippi, met a lady, and I'm, I'm going on down in verse 16 through um, verse 38, and I can't read it all, but I know you will, and go down to verse 40, but y'all know the story. They went there, and the first person they met, lady named Lydia, worshiping down by the river. She believed in God, but she didn't know Jesus. God sent her their way. They preached the gospel to her. She got saved, her and all her family, so now they got somewhere to stay. So now God gave them somewhere to stay, and they keep going back and forth throughout the day, and they go into this place to preach the gospel. And every time they go past this place, they, uh, there's this little slave girl who could tell the future. And she'd always be screaming, hey, everybody, these men are from the Most High God. They'll tell you the way of salvation. Again, if you think of that, you look at that and you say, well, she is screaming out the gospel. Why is that a problem? Well, Paul got tired of her screaming. Why? Because she was demon-possessed. And Paul, these are brand new people out there. They don't know Christ. Paul knew that he didn't want his gospel to be associated with the demon that was in that lady who they used for telling fortunes and making money. So one day, Paul got fed up. You know what Paul told the lady? He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, demons come out of her. And the demon had no choice but to come out. So now you got this slave girl who can't bring in no money. But the only people you got now who are following Paul and them, you got Lydia, who's a woman over here. You got the slave girl over here. And now Paul and Silas are in trouble. Because the owner of this slave girl, that was their moneymaker. And now when Paul exercised the demon that was in her, she couldn't make any money. So you know what the man did? He, when there's no money coming, he started lying. He said, we got to do something. He say, he went around spreading lies on Paul and Silas. He say, these people are disruptors. They are telling people, they're, they're talking against Caesar, they're doing all this stuff. What ended up happening, I got to hurry, but what ended up happening is Paul and Silas found themselves where? In the deep dungeons of jail. Prison, down low. I'm talking about they put them where they put the hardened criminals. They wanted to make certain that they didn't get away. Y'all can read the story. And so this is why you got to have people around you who know the Holy Ghost. 
Because if you're not careful, you follow Christ and you get yourself in trouble. And again, I, I think I made the case clear enough that following Christ sometimes is going to lead you into hot water. That don't mean that Christ isn't with you. That just means that Christ is working. But if, you're not, if you don't have the right people around you, when you find yourself in the middle of nowhere, which is where Macedonia was, it literally was nowhere. They didn't know where they were. And now they find themselves in the bottom of a jail cell. Ain't no help coming because nobody knows where they are. And if you're not careful, if you don't surround yourself with the right people, that's when the complaining starts. I knew we shouldn't have came this way. Paul talking about he saw a vision. He couldn't tell us nothing about the man. And now we over here in the middle of nowhere and we down here in jail. How we even going to get out? We ain't got no money. We, how, how we end up here? But that's why you got to, the only people who are qualified to be on mission with God are those who know him. You don't have to know him that well because you'll get to know him better along the way. But you got to know him and you got to be, what did I tell you earlier? You got to be willing to go and you got to be willing to grow. So when they get stuck down there in that dungeon, when everybody else, that's what the Bible says. The Bible said they received their orders in verse 24 and he put them in the what? In the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Like they were going to run away. They don't even know where to go. <laughs> Treating them like hardened criminals. But <laughs> what did y'all say a minute ago? It may look like you're surrounded. <laughs> but you got to know who you're surrounded by. You see, here's what Paul and Silas said. This is how I fight my battles. The Bible says in verse 25, around midnight, when everybody else was dead asleep and the place is dark, the Bible says that they were praying and singing hymns to God and all the other prisoners were listening to them. You see, here's what you found out on a mission trip. When you go where God leads you to go, it don't matter whether you end up in jail or not, you preach where God has you. So what they found, see, a lot of people, they want to preach on the big stage. They want to be seen. But Paul and Silas were in this dark, dank dungeon. And now when everybody else trying to sleep, the Bible says that they found themselves praying to God and singing him. This is how they fight their battles. See, God knew something that you and I don't know. He, they started preaching to the prisoners. And here's what the Bible says. And suddenly, in verse 26, suddenly. See, here Luke uses suddenly. Earlier he said at once. But what he's trying to say is God started moving at a violent earthquake that shook the foundation. And it wasn't enough to just open the doors. But the Bible says 
everybody's chains fell off. Not just Paul and Silas. That's not what the Bible says. Everybody got free. And what I'm trying to tell you today, if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life, those around you, those you know, those who don't like you yet, everybody's going to get free. But here's the thing. And when they heard all that commotion, that's what the Bible said. It said the jailer woke up. See, he, he, the jailer was asleep. He knew they couldn't break out of there. They're in the inner cells. They locked up. But when he woke up and he saw that the prison doors were open, the Bible says he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself. He thought everybody was gone. But here's the grace of God. Look what Paul said. Paul shouted, no, no, don't hurt yourself. We're right here. We ain't got nowhere to go. We ain't running. We standing firm. And this is what the Bible says. And the jailer says, turn the lights on. Get the lights. And they rushed in. And they say, shake it before Paul and Silas. And look, there's one thing he asked them. There's one thing he asked them. He said, sir, what must I do to be saved? Let me tell you something. God saw that Philippian jailer. God saw Lydia. God saw that slave girl. And what you just saw here is when Paul responded to them. Look what he said. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And not just you. You and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They went to preaching there. And, the, and all the others in his house. And look what the Bible says. At that hour, at that hour of the night, they took him, they washed him up, and immediately him and his family got baptized. He went from being jailbait to baptizing the jailer. What am I trying to say here? You guys can go read the story, but I got to stop because I need you to understand. I need to tell you a secret. The whole time I've been here, the whole time we're talking, I'm not just focusing on the beginning of EBC. I'm not even just thinking about how the church got started in Macedonia. We're using that example, but that's not really <laughs> what we're talking about today. What I'm talking, I'm trying to tell you, it's not going to be easy to follow Christ because when they got there, they met some people on this river bait. They met some folks who went for prayer. They saw some women. They saw these people. They saw all of this. They saw the slave girl. But what I'm trying to explain, though, is that in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, I want you to see something. Because Jesus talked to his disciples when he was trying to explain to them about who he was. And when Peter finally said, we believe that you're the son of the living God. That's who we believe you are. And then, here's what Jesus said. That's right. But here's what he said. But that wasn't revealed to you by man, not by flesh and blood. But my Father in heaven revealed that to you. And here's what he said in verse 18. And I tell you, Peter, on that rock, 
And here's the rock that he's talking about. The fact that he is the son of the living God. We're talking about Jesus Christ because of that fact, because of who he is. He said that he's going to build his church. And he said in the gates of hell will not overcome it. So what I'm trying to explain to you is that I'm not just talking about the church starting at EBC 135 years ago. I'm not just talking about the church starting in, in, in Philippi, Macedonia, you know, uh, 2,000 years ago. But I'm talking about that rock that's there on which the church itself has been built. And I'm telling you, that rock, what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 and 4, that rock is Christ. I'm here to talk to you about a relationship with Christ. I'm talking to you about a stone in Jerusalem that causes some to stumble. I'm here to tell you that you are a royal priesthood. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I know I got to go sit down. I mean, do this for me. Just do this last thing for me. Uh, uh, turn turn in, uh, for, to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 8. Because I want to look at verse 8 and 9, and then I'm going to go sit down. Because I, I think you get the point. I think you understand what God is at, how God is at work with those of you here and those of you around here. But here's the thing. I want you to see this. Look what Peter wrote. He said, a stone that causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because, listen to this. I want you to see this. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. Listen, everybody, you have an opportunity to follow Christ. Go ahead and look at verse 9, because I want you to understand here. You, EBC, you, uh, Macedonia Philippi, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you de declare the praises of him who call you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Listen, I, I, I got to stop. I'm completely out of time. But I just stopped by here to tell you people, 135-year anniversary, that ain't nothing compared to what God has in store for us. I need you to understand that God's church don't look like this. That may make you uncomfortable, but God's church don't look like this. Give me Revelation chapter 7, and let's end on verse 9. I need you to understand this. God's church doesn't look like this. But what are you willing to do? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do? This is what God's church looked like. John said, I looked and there was before me a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes. And they were holding palm branches in their hands. Let me tell you something. Let's chew on that for a minute. Because where we're trying to go, our final destination, we're not going to be dressed like this. That scripture always blew me away. Look at what it says. We know that much of Revelation is symbolic. We know a lot of it is imagery. But look at the image he gives us. He tells us that in that number, because this number, and pastor will teach you Revelation, this number replaces the church. See, there, there's no church in heaven. Everybody there is in the church. There's no temple to go and worship. Y'all know the scripture. But listen to what he said. The imagery was this. 
John knew that people were going to be there from every tongue, every nation, every tribe, every language. But our clothes didn't matter. <laughs> they all got the same clothes. Everybody's in white. But what still did matter is he knew we were from somewhere different. I need to end by this. Your ethnicity, your skin color, your nationality is not an accident. It was by design. And so were whites, so were Asians, so were Mexicans, so were all. It was by design. And since Genesis chapter 10, with the Tower of Babel. Men have been, God confused their language. You know why? Because he knew that men wanted to do things to make themselves stand out. That's what they said, if you go back and study. That's what they said, they said, we'll build this tower here and everybody can come here and we can just, we'll be known by everybody. God said, that's not my plan. I want you to scatter. And I want you to cover the earth. I want you to indoctrinate all of the believers, all of the people with his gospel, with my gospel. But here's the thing. So he broke up their languages. And ever since Genesis chapter 10, God has been reconciling man to himself. But in Genesis chapter 10, they thought, that the way to God was through a tower. God's plan is the way to him is through Christ Jesus. The whole Bible is about reconciliation between God and man. Folks, don't be afraid to talk about race. Don't be afraid to talk about ethnicity. Just make certain that the gospel is the motivation. This has always been the case. Man has always used one thing to separate himself from somebody else. But God, in the end, he brings us back together. And here's what they're saying. Look at what verse 10 says. Here's what they're crying. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is all about Jesus, everybody. Don't be afraid to be used by God, but you got to be willing to go. Man, I got to stop. I, man, I, I have to stop. And, and, and one day, maybe we'll find, out, we'll find out who that man from Macedonia was. But today, the only thing we need to know is that man from Jerusalem who came, lived, died and rose so that we could all spend eternity with him. I didn't make this stuff up. This is what the word says. And if the word says it, that's the way it is. Somebody say amen today. Amen.